All right, Bokitov, good morning. Aren't we grateful we live in South Florida where we're safe from hurricanes and natural disasters? <laughs> Obviously, our thoughts and our tefillos are with our uh, friends and family in the Northeast today as they try to dry out and dig out from uh, the horrible, horrible storm that they suffered. All right, we have the privilege this uh, Shabbos of reading Parsha's Vayera, action-packed, tremendous amount. As all of Sefer Bracious, as all of the Torah has. So as always, we'll try to give a uh, quick overview of the Parsha, and then delve into specific psukim, an episode which I think people neglect and really haven't studied in depth before. The uh, Parsha begins, of course, with Hashem, the, the source of Bikr Cholim. Avram, at the end of last week's Parsha, performs a circumcision on himself at a very advanced age, as well as on his son Yishmael, and he's visited by none other than the Almighty Himself. Hashem appears to Avram. Uh, what's amazing is that Avram is engaged in hospitality. Avram is sitting outside of his tent, though he's in pain, on the most painful day after surgery, and he's seeking out those uh, travelers who are journeying, who are looking for a place to stay. And he's in the middle of receiving a visit from HaKadosh Baruch Hu when he interrupts and sees these strangers, these nomads, these Arabs, and he says, excuse me, I need to go take care of them. Of course, we learn from here, Rashi quotes, that Gadol, it's greater to perform hospitality, it's greater to uh, take care of other people than it is even to continue a conversation with Hashem. Now, not for now, but the question is why? For Kodesh Baruch the creator of the universe, the master of the universe, for Kodesh Baruch service, service of the Almighty is the purpose of all, then if a person is engaged in a conversation with Hashem Himself, I wouldn't think there's justification or grounds to interrupt it for anything in the world. So, my friend Rabbi Moshe Hauer in Baltimore once shared a beautiful explanation. I heard him say once that if you have a choice between talking to God or acting like God, God performs that you act like God. If there's a choice between talking to Hashem or imitating Hashem, imitation is the greatest form of flattery. So Hashem Himself concedes and says, I'd rather you be like me than talk to me. The greatest service you could be is not to talk to me, the greatest service you can show is to be like me. So if an opportunity to perform a godly act like that is a greater tribute, a greater display of reverence, a greater display of honor to Hashem than even continuing the conversation with Him. So that's the beginning of the Parsha. The uh, promise of a son is revealed to Sarah. Right? She's visited and uh, told that she's going to have a son. She reacts in a way that she laughs and she's criticized for her laughter. I think last year we developed the idea, if you look at Unclus, who sometimes defines the exact same verb as laughter and sometimes as sarcasm. Because how can you criticize Sarah for laughing when indeed, bless you, when indeed Avram has the same reaction and when indeed that's his name later, Yitzchak, because of laughing. So the answer is that there's nothing wrong with laughter of joy, but laughter of joy is categorically different than laughter of cynicism and sarcasm. Her immediate reaction was sarcasm. I'm an, I'm an old lady. I'm of advanced age. I don't have a uterus. What, are you kidding me? I'm going to have a child? She was sarcastic. She dismissed God as being capable of doing anything. That's where the criticism came from. Avram learns about Stone's destruction. He intercedes on their behalf. This is a great source, again, not for now, but a precedent for our ability to protest Hashem when we feel an injustice is happening. That doesn't mean that we don't have to accept everything Hashem does in the end. It doesn't mean we don't have to recognize that all that Hashem does is for good. But it means that when, when someone around us is suffering, 
when we are suffering, when a family member is suffering, when an injustice is occurring, as Avram stood up and he said, God forbid, how could you do such a thing? This is a precedent for our ability to stand up and protest and say to Hashem, how could you do such a thing? Should he choose to do it anyway, we accept it, even if we can't understand it. But it's within our purview, we have license, thanks to Avraham, to protest when we th- see what we think, what we feel is an injustice. Sodom is destroyed because ultimately there aren't even a minimum of ten tzaddikim. Sodom is destroyed. Lot is of course saved. Uh, and we have the story of Lot and his daughters, an incestuous story from which Moab and Ammon are born. But not only is there this great act of impurity, of licentiousness, but uh, from Moab, of course, who descends ultimately from Moab? Rus. And who descends from Rus? David HaMelech. And from David HaMelech, Mashiach himself. So there are seeds of redemption in this incredible act of promiscuity, this immoral and unethical act. Okay, Avram's in Gerar, where... uh, this is the section that we're going to study more in depth momentarily, where he goes through the same charade again with Sarah. She's my sister. And the whole uh, episode, he revisits it yet again. Yitzchak is born. At this time, Sarah doesn't want the influence of Hagar and Yishmael, who are exiled. They're expelled from Avram's home. Uh, Yishmael is saved when it looks like he's going to die. An alliance is made with Avimelech and Beersheva. And then, of course, at the very end of the Parsha, we have one of the... Uh, most well-known portions, not only of our parsha but of the Torah, and that is Akedas Yitzchak, the binding of Yitzchak, which begins, which begins, God tells Avram, Lech Lecha El Eretz HaMoriah. Now those words should sound familiar, Lech Lecha, they were the beginning of last week's parsha. Lech Lecha El Eretz So the Medrash actually entertains a question which is impossible. Did I talk about this last week? I don't remember. I don't think so. The Medrash wonders, which Lech Lecha is greater? Lech lecha to leave your home, or the lech lecha el Moriah to go perform the Akedah, the binding of Isaac. Now you look at this measure and say, what are you, what? what? what what's the question? One was lech lecha, lahanascha leave your home, but I'm going to make you rich and give you fame and celebrity and fortune. You're going to garner a following. You're going to influence the world. That was the first lech lecha. This lech lecha is, you know your son, your only son, your beloved son, the son you waited all these years to have, the son through whom you'll create a legacy? I want you to go kill him. And the Medrash wonders which lech lecha is greater? How could it even, of course it concludes the lech lecha of the Akkad is greater, but how could it even entertain the question? So there are a number of answers for that, also not for now. Just throwing some questions at you. But the section that I want to study together today, in our limited time, uh, is Parakhaf from the beginning. Chapter 20, Pasuk Aleph. Chapter 20, Pasuk Aleph. Okay? And here we are after the episode of Sodom, after the episode of Lot, after the episode of Lot and his daughters. And what occurs next? Says the Torah. Avram journeys from there to south. He's heading south in what we call Israel, what he called Canaan. He settles between Kadesh and Shur, and he traveled to Gerar. Vayomer Avraham, and who's living, by the way, in the southern part of Canaan? Where is he among now? He's among the Plishtim. He's among the Philistines. Vayomer. Vayagar be Gerar. He lived in Gerar. Right. Yeah. He said he traveled to He lived in Gerar. I'm sorry, he lived in Gerar. Correct. 
So now he's introduced, to, he's in a metropolis and he's in a city where he hasn't been in a while and they inquire about this woman and he says, oh, she's my sister. The king of Gerar, where Avram has now taken up residence. Oh, she's eligible to sister. She's a single woman. She's an eligible bachelorette. So Avimelech, the king of Gerar, sends for her, is going to proposition her. So first of all, before we even get into this episode with Avimelech, what is Avram doing traveling south? Why is Avram traveling? Why is he always moving? He's always on the move. Where is he going? So look at Rashi. Avram had been living outside of Sodom. He'd been living in kind of a, a non-residential area. And he would wait for those traveling through the desert to pass by. And that was a prime opportunity for him. He created, he positioned himself to be able to do hospitality. His favorite mitzvah. Avram is defined as chesed, chesed li Avraham. Avram lived for others. He was a selfless person who loved to help others. And where he had been positioned to help others, he saw now, says Rashi, those villages were destroyed and nobody was going to be traveling, no one was going to be journeying there. Sodom had just been uprooted, been destroyed. So what was the point of living there if there would be no one he could help? And so he picked up his tent and he headed south. That's reason number one. Reason number two suggests Rashi, he wanted to get far away from his nephew Lot. I spoke in Shul last Shabbos. Lot is the first one to, in Torah to go off the derech. Right? This movie that came out in Israel, The Rabbi's Daughter, is a documentary of three very prominent rabbis who each have a daughter who is no longer from. And a documentary, you could Google it, you could watch it online. It's called The Rabbi's Daughters. And uh, they each have a daughter who uh, has not embraced their ways. Prominent, huge Tamid Chachamim and not a reflection on them per se, and very courageous documentary, uh, interviews the, the young women, and uh, to a lesser degree the parents. I spoke about Lot was the first one to go off the derech. Because at first in last week's parsha we saw Vayelech Ito Lot. Lot goes with Avram everywhere. And just a short while later, Vayipardu, he separates, and they go their separate ways. He literally goes off the derech. Lot was on the derech, Vayelech Ito, he was on the derech, on the way, on the path, on his, on his, uh, on his uh, lifestyle. And then they separate. What caused it? Why? How does Avram react? What's the proper reaction? All we spoke about last week. But you see here, Rashi's second reason is that word had spread about what happened with Lot and his daughters. That's a pretty horrible reputation to have. Maybe not among the people of Stom, I guess it's a badge of honor, but among anyone moral in the world, what Lot had done with his daughters was reprehensible. So Avram wanted to get far away from it. And that's why he traveled south. That is the second answer that Rashi gives. The Svarno gives a third answer. Avram had achieved a point in his career where he wasn't looking to seclude himself, but he was looking to have access to many people. So by heading south to these two big cities... Kadesh and Shur, two large metropolis, two large cities, he would have the opportunity to teach 
to inspire, to influence. And after all, that's what he saw his mandate, that's what he saw his mission being. So why does Avram head south? Rashi has two reasons. Number one, because he had no one left to perform Achnas Azorchem Number two, because he wanted to get far away from Lot. The Sfarno adds to number three, which was he wanted to have a greater platform in order to declare the greatness of Hashem and to inspire to be able to do outreach to others. I came across just this morning, uh, Rav Hirsch has another interesting insight. Rav Shemshan Fal Hirsch says something fascinating. The reason for both these moves must be found. I'm reading to you from Rav Hirsch Al HaTorah in the translation, obviously. He wrote it in German. I'm reading it in English. I can read it to you in the German, but I wouldn't understand it. You wouldn't understand it. I mean, you might. I wouldn't. The reason for both these moves must be found. We've seen how Avram considered it his duty at first to isolate himself and his household away from intercourse with towns and therefore had chosen the inhospitable region of the south as his earliest place of settlement. Only gradually did he enter into the region of cities and finally had lived for a long time in the most friendly and most highly respected position. Now in his declining years we see him moving again to the south. He settled between Kadesh and Shur in the loneliest part of the least frequented region near to the desert of Shur known as the most desolated waste and at the same time sought to have connection with city life and town temporarily in Gerar, the capital and residential place of the king of the Plishtim. So he's in the south, which is a barren kind of area. He can have some level of isolation, but he moves to Gerar, which is a big city, a big Plishtim city. Unless we are totally mistaken, we would venture to say that it was the approaching expectation of the birth of a son which caused Avram and Sarah to make this peculiar alteration in their place of residence. So if Hirsch gives us a fourth reason, that maybe Avram moved south, why? In anticipation of the birth of Yitzchak. You see, a Yitzchak should grow up again in isolation, away from every pernicious influence. But complete isolation, where the youth never comes in contact with other people, other thoughts, people living different lives and aims, is an equally dangerous fault in education. A young man who has never seen any other way of life than his parents, who has never learned to value, respect, and hold fast to that life by its moral contrast to others, surely falls readily under these strange influences as soon as he meets them. Just as the anxious shutting of all the fresh air is the surest way of catching cold the first time one goes out. The son of Avram, the future continuer of the heritage of Avram, is from time to time to go into the non-Avrahamic world, there to learn to estimate what is in opposition to it, and to steal himself by practice in the midst of a world opposed to the spirit and way of life of Avram, to keep himself faithful and true to his mission. For that purpose, Avram chose the residential city of a, of a Philistine prince. In the land of the Plishtim, the degeneration seems not to have reached the depth of the Amorite neighbors, and therefore they had not been included in the destruction. Very fascinating insight of Rav Hirsch. Why did Avram move south? He wanted Yitzchak to have seclusion and yet access. And that's the proper path of Jewish education, says Rav Hirsch. Because like protecting a child who you'll keep insulated in the warm weather indoors, the very first time they encounter the cold outside, they're going to get the flu. You have to give limited access limited opportunity exposure to the elements, both physically and spiritually, in order to know what you're up against, in order to prepare against it, in order to influence it, in order to respond to it, and so on. So says Rav Hirsch, Avram and Sarah moved south in anticipation of Yitzchak's birth because they wanted to live in a place where they could raise a child on the one hand, certain level of isolation, and on the other hand, a certain level of access and exposure, and the importance I think it's, you know, it's a fascinating, it's obviously consistent with who Rav Hirsch was and Rav Hirsch's message 
to the German emancipated world in which he lived, the enlightened world uh, in which he lived, and trying to make an orthodoxy relevant to the masses in a time in which it was really under attack. It's obviously very consistent with, with uh, Hirschian uh, philosophy. But I think it's relevant today as well. It's, it's very dangerous. We see this, you know, even in that conversation of going off the derech, the orthodox community has responded to enlightenment, to freedom, to liberty that America provides in different ways. We have communities which are very sheltered. We have communities which are highly integrated. We have communities which are somewhere in between. And each of them has their pros, each has their cons. None is a magic wand. None has a magic formula. But the danger of being in a highly insulated, isolated world is that the moment that they have access or contact with a world outside their own, they can easily be influenced negatively and abandon their, their own way. So very, very interesting. I found it a very interesting uh, insight by Refersh. So we saw four reasons just on this Pasuk why Avram might have traveled south. Two from Rashi, one from the Sforno, and one from Refersh. Pasuk base. Vayomer Avraham El Sara Ishto. Avram says, now El, how do you normally translate El? Too, but we don't find there's a conversation in the rest of the Pasuk. Avram and Sarah are not talking. So what does it mean? Vayomer Avram el Sarah Ishto says Rashi al Sarah Ishto. In Biblical Hebrew, sometimes the word el and al can be used interchangeably. So he wasn't talking to Sarah. He arrives in Gerar. He's in the land of the Plishtim, and he introduces Sarah. He's talking al about Sarah as his sister. Rashi gives other examples where El and Al are interchangeable, as does the Ibn Ezra. Kemo Al. El and Al. So Avram here is not talking to his wife. He's talking about her when he says, She's my sister. And as a result of introducing Sarah in that way, she is sent for by, the, uh, by Avimelech, the king of Grar. Now interestingly, when this all unfolded in Mitzrayim, right? God sends Avram to Canaan. Avram gets to Canaan. There's a famine. He leaves Canaan, he heads south to Mitzrayim. The Ramban sees this as a chait. He shouldn't have left. It was a test. The Ramban sees it as a test. He shouldn't have left. But when he gets to Mitzrayim, how does he introduce? He tells Sarah, look, we're going in. I'm going to tell them that you're my sister. There he preps her. Here he didn't prep her. Why didn't he prep her? So some of them before Shem say, she knows the drill, she knows what she went through, and she would say, uh-uh, not this time. No, you don't. No, you don't. Look at the Ramban, Pasuk base. Says the Ramban, There's another difference. There, when Avram and Sarah reached Egypt, descended to Egypt, the Mitzrim themselves saw that she was beautiful and praised her to the officers, to the dignitaries, to the king. Egypt was a culture saturated in promiscuity. The only reason that in Egypt one of the low lives on the street didn't take Sarah is she was so beautiful, they were fearful, the king, the para would discover her beauty and he would therefore persecute his own people. How could you not have brought her to me? How did you take her for yourselves? The only thing that kept them from violating her was fear of Paro. Here, says the Ramban, the Plishtim were, believe it or not, more cultured, more moral, 
than the Mitzrim. So it wasn't a matter of the average person on the street. It was Avimelech who saw her, her beauty. And Avram wasn't worried about the immorality of the Plishtim. He was worried because of her beauty. So he didn't want any trouble and he tried to kind of fend off any trouble before it found him by saying, she's my sister. Right. Yes. Right. So if we confuse L and I, I with Aleph is don't. Right, but that's but we're not it's not confusing it, it's that L it should be read L, but L and L are interchangeable. Okay, Pasagimel. So Avimelech has now taken Sarah, she's in his palace, and he goes to sleep. He hasn't been with her yet, but he has propositioned her. And he goes to sleep and he has a dream. God says to him, You're going to die as a result of this woman that you've propositioned. Why? Because she's married. What are you doing, buddy? You're going to die. The consequences are going to be grave for you. Now, interesting, why Avi Melech was deserving of a visit from Hashem. He was a prophet. He was so great. So this obviously bothered the Svarno. says the Svarno, we have other characters who are not deserving of prophecy, Lavan and Bilam, where the Torah doesn't say, They didn't see God, there wasn't a vision. The way God talks to these characters, Lavan, Bilam, Avimelech, True, he communicates a message to them, but it's very different than the level of access or the image that our Avos or the great prophets had. All they heard was a voice. They didn't have a vision. So the Svarno is picking up on the words, God came, not God appeared. With the Avos, with our prophets, it says God appeared, they had a vision, they saw. Here, Avimelech, like Lavan and Bilam, it doesn't say they saw, he appeared, there's an image. It just says he heard. Because all they had was a limited connection of a voice. So clearly that was bothering the Svarno as well. Now at this point, Avimelech had not yet been intimate with Sarah. Vayomari said... Hashem agoy gam tzadik taharog. He protests God. I guess he was a good student of Avraham. And he says to God, Are you going to kill a nation even though it is righteous? What do you mean? You've just come to me, God visited me and said, There are going to be great consequences. What kind of great consequences? Are you going to kill a nation even though it is righteous? Now, what was he referring to? Are you going to kill a nation even though it was righteous? Which nation? So look at Rashi. Hagoy gam tzadik taharog. It's a very powerful statement. Avimelech is going to try to indict the Almighty. Afimut tzadik targenu. God, once I whoa, 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 whoa. You just told me you're going to kill me. I, I didn't touch her. And by the way, she was presented to me as a single woman. Is it your way, God, to kill righteous people? And God, shemakach darkecha labeda umoschinam. God is maybe maybe the generation of Noah that you wiped out with the flood 
And maybe the generation of the Tower of Bavel that you dispersed in the world, maybe they were righteous also. You know, God, I'm starting to doubt you, says Avimelech. Because if you're willing to punish me and to visit harm upon me when I've done nothing wrong, maybe you're just a bad God. Maybe you're just mean. It's a pretty bold statement by Avimelech. But he protests God. What do you mean? You're going to kill me? Really? God, is that your methodology? Is that what you do? Balaturim understands a little bit differently. Balaturim, so according to Rashi, who is the tzaddik in the Pasuk? Gam tzaddik tarog. You kill a righteous person? According to, according to, Rashi, according to Rashi, who is Avimelech saying is the tzaddik? Himself. Himself. I did nothing wrong. What are you doing? Balaturim sees it differently. Perish. Im tarog osi, gam avram tzaddik tarog. Alpha pishu tzaddik. Ki hupasha v'garam lizos. If you're ready to take me out for this, and I did nothing wrong, then you better take out Avram because he's the one who set this whole thing up when he presented her as a single woman, his sister. So according to the Balaturim, who's the tzaddik in the Pasuk? Hagam tzaddik tarog. Oh yeah, you're going to kill me? Hagam tzaddik. You're taking out the tzaddik also? The little tzaddikal? You're taking out the guy who gets honored at the dinner all the time? So you see it's very different. The Rashi says the tzaddik is Avimelech himself and the Balaturim sees the tzaddik as himself. Pasuk, hey. Now by the way, let's just do the Ramban first. The Ramban Vayishlach Avimelech Vayikach. The Ramban says something great here. He needs a pella. It's a wonder. Shahaisa Sarah Achrei Balosa Yafa Ad Maod. Sarah is how old? She ain't young. But she hasn't had Yitzchak yet. How old is she when she has Yitzchak? She's an advanced, advanced age. Nine years old. So she's, she's an older woman. So it's amazing. So when she was sick, when Paro wanted her, when the episode happened in Egypt, how old was Sarah? 65. But okay, she had the glow of a mature woman. She was beautiful. But we know by this point, because Sarah reacts to the angel and she says, I don't, uh, I'm, I'm postmenopausal. But it's not to suggest you can't be postmenopausal and beautiful. But the Ramban says, Pelahu, that a, a postmenopausal, um, mature, advanced age, I'm trying to use every politically correct term I can think of, an a advanced aged woman would be so drop dead gorgeous it would attract the attention of Avimela. You think Avimela is going after some 20 year old model, some 25 year old model. An 85-year-old, 90-year-old woman, Pastor Prime, Ulai So then Aban concludes, it must be that the beauty of her youth returned to her. As they moved south, the beauty of her youth returned to her. Right? It's, a, it's, a, it's a great insight by the... Uh, by the Ramban. Okay, Pasuke. Hello, who am I? So the Avimelech is continuing now. Avimelech says to God, What? What? You're going to kill me? He wakes up and he says, He just had this dream. He says, God, what? You're killing me? I did nothing wrong. Is that your way that you kill a tzaddik? Which according to Rashi means, again, don't kill me. And according to Balatura means, you ready to take down Avram too? Hello, who am I? Because Avram is the one who told me that she's a sister. And she also told me that he is her brother. My hands are absolutely clean. The innocence of my heart 
My hands are clean. I've done absolutely nothing, God. You have no case against me. You have nothing on me. So God, God, I agree. I know you've done nothing. And I prevented you from sinning. Now what does it mean, God says, I prevented you from sinning? So the Rashi quotes the Medrash, that God made Avimelech impotent at that moment, so that even had he wanted to be with Sarah, he was unable to be. Physically, he was unable to be. So God says, I know you didn't do anything, and how do I know? Because I caused you, I afflicted you with impotence. I know you wouldn't be able to do anything with her. But here's what you got to do now, God says. I find the conversation of the dialogue fascinating because it's as if God is moved by Avimelech's argument. When Avimelech poses him, oh yeah, is that what you did with the Dora Mabel and Dora Flaga too? God, is that your method that you kill innocent people? God says, look, I know you're innocent. Okay, here's, how we need to, here's what we need to do to all get out of this. Right? What do you need to do? Give back the man's wife. Because he is a prophet. He will pray for you and you can live. And if you don't do that, know that you're going to die, you and everything you have. Now here it's fascinating also, because God says, here's what we need to do to all get out of this. Give the woman back so that Avram can pray for you, because only then can you live. You see the circular logic there? Who decides if he lives or not? Who is to whom is Avram? No. Who decides if Avimelech lives? God. Hashem. And to whom is Avram going to pray in a moment? To Hashem. Hashem could have easily just said, I know you're innocent, just do me a favor, give the woman back, and you'll live. Why is it necessary to say, give the woman back, and Avram will daven, and only then can you live? Why is Avram's davening necessary? It's so circular. Hashem's having a conversation with the protagonist himself. And he's telling him, what was, what was the mistake you took, Sarah? How can you correct it? I would think, just give her back. But he's throwing in this other variable. The only way to correct it is both give her back, so that Avram can pray, and only if Avram prays, prays will I let you live. Avram is, Hashem is, so to say, dependent on Avram's prayer. Interesting. Because, I, okay, so maybe that's a reason. Alex suggests Hashem is causing Avimelech to feel obligated to Avram, that he would pray on his behalf. Why is that necessary? Oh, so that he will reward him. He'll give him riches. Okay, so let's see. So asking Avram to pray is the equivalent of saying, I did something wrong, I need you to forgive me, could you pray for me? Okay, I accept that. Look at Rashi Pasuk Now, why did God have to say to Avimelech, give her back? Was Avimelech not ready to give her back? God had so far caused Avimelech to be impotent. We'll read in a moment more than just that. He clogged up every orifice of his body. Every orifice of his body. He was in great discomfort. So, and plus he now discovers that she's a married woman. And plus he discovers that God's not really happy with this. So was Avimelech not prepared to give her back on his own? Why does God have to say, Rashi tells us why. Right, because every Rashi we read as a commentary, but Rashi is really answering a question. You always have to wonder what was Rashi asking? What was bothering Rashi? 
So what was bothering Rashi was, why would Avi Melech need to be told, give her back? Of course he would know to give her back. Of course that's what he would naturally, instinctively do. Says Rashi, No, Avi Melech might have thought, you know what? Avram doesn't want her back now. Avi Melech was imposing maybe what he would think. His views, the views of the Plishtim. So he thinks maybe Avram feels, you know what, she's used now. She's used property. She was taken to the palace. I'm not interested. She's become despicable to him. Right? So, so uh, that's why Hashem has to encourage Avi Melech to give back. Now why ki navihu? Right? God says, give the white woman back because Avram is a navi. Rashi says, Why did God throw in the fact that Avram's a Navi? If he weren't a Navi, Avimelech shouldn't give her back? So Rashi tells us why. And because he's a Navi, he knows you didn't touch her. He has access to information as a Navi, as a prophet. He knows you didn't touch her, and therefore he'll daven for you. So if you know it's good for you, right now you have a death sentence. The only way to lift the death sentence is for a tzaddik to daven for you. Give her back. He's a Navi. He knows you didn't touch her and he'll daven for you. Okay? That's Rashi's interpretation of Ki Navihu. The Orachayim HaKadosh has a different interpretation of Ki Navihu. I think it's fantastic. Says the Orachayim, Omro Ki Navihu, Perush, Ki Navihu Zu Ishto, the man who is the husband of this woman is a Navi, Ki Adayin Lo Yado Beferish Avram Haisa. If you follow the text, you'll see something interesting that the Orachayim notes. At no point in the dialogue between Avimelech and God does God say, by the way, this woman's husband is Avraham. You don't see Avraham's name come up. Right? God visits Avimelech Bachalom. He says, you're going to die because of this woman you took. She is Baal's Baal. She's married. Avimelech says, what do you kill righteous people? God says, what do you mean? I was told this was that man's sister. God says, I know you didn't touch her. But you know, that man, he's a Navi, he'll daven for you. So the Yorachayim notes that nowhere in this dialogue was the husband of Sarah identified as Avraham. That's why God says, give it to her husband, he's a Navi. Because that was the way of clearly identifying Avram. Avram was the only Navi in those days. That's number one, says the Orachayim. Or number two, Right, the two interpretations of Rashi. He's a Navi, therefore he knows he didn't touch her. He's a Navi, don't worry, he'll daven for you. Or he's a Navi, just to make sure we're on the same page, who we're talking about, who's the husband, it's the Navi. The Navi, Avraham. Okay. Pasuk Ches. Avi Melech wakes up in the morning, he summons all of his servants, and he says to them, he tells them in their ear, They were very fearful. Now Avi Melech confronts Avraham. And he says, What did you do to us? What have I ever done to you that you visited all of this upon us? You've done with me things I would never do with you. Deeds that ought not to be done have you done to me. What are you doing? Avi Melech confronts. 
He takes a pretty aggressive tone, an aggressive tone with Hashem, and now an aggressive tone with Avram. Look at Rashi, Pasuk Tes. Ma'asim asher yasu. Right? Things that ought not be done, you just caused to me. What are these things that ought not be done? I mentioned a moment ago. Mak An affliction that is unprecedented. It doesn't appear in the medical textbooks anywhere. Nobody's ever suffered from it. it was caused to us because of you. And what is it? Atziras All of the orifices, all of the openings to the body have become closed up. Shalzera, Shalkatanam, Sharei, Vaznaim, Vachotam, nose, ears, the the uh, bowels, the uh, every every orifice of the body has become closed up. Avram, what'd you do? That's a plague that, that's unprecedented, that nobody ever suffered from. How could you have visited this upon upon me? Right? The Svarno interpretation interprets Masim Asherliasu, Ligram Hezekl Ishloyadato, Kodam Lachain, the Ain Lacha Eva Imo. What does it mean? You've done something nobody does. Sforno interprets it a little bit different. It means, who's ever hurt someone so badly with whom they have no beef? And what benefit is there to you? Right? So Rashi interprets, things that ought not be done, you did. Rashi interprets it physiologically, anatomically. You caused this unbearable physical pain. Closed up every orifice of the body. The Sforno interprets it, not physically, but emotionally. When is somebody who's not in a fight, has no consternation, no Ava with someone else, caused them so much harm, bilti without a toelis? There's no benefit for themselves. Ain't derech kain. That's not normal. Why would you come here and do this? You get no benefit. All you've done is hurt me. People don't do that. Why'd you do that? That's how the Sforno interprets Avimelech's challenge to Avram. Posekid. Vayam Avimelech al Avram, Mara Isa ki asisa sadavarze. So Avimelech wants to understand what would you see? Why did you do that? Vayam Avram ki amarti rak en yiras elokim b'makomaze. You want the truth? You can't handle the truth. You want the truth? I'll tell you the truth, because I saw that people here do not fear God. Vaharaguni al dvarishti. And I feared that they would kill me because they would want my wife. Do you want to know why I did this? You said there was no benefit to me. Why would a person harm? People don't do that. I'll tell you why. You're sitting on your ivory tower. You think you have such a moral society that you rule over? Ain yiras elokim makom hazeh. Open your eyes. There's no yiras Hashem here. And therefore I was worried. Look at Rashi. Ain yiras elokim. Achsanoi shabal liira iska achila v'shia shor lemaso, or iska ishto shor lemaso. Ishtachi or achosachi. A guest comes to the town, looking for food and drink, and they don't say, "Are you lactose intolerant?" They say, "Oh, is she your wife? Or your sister? Is she available?" There's no yiras elokim. How did I know that? Because when I come to town looking for hospitality, instead of offering a bed, instead of offering a glass of water, a coffee, instead of offering a Danish, the first question is, who's the chick? Who's the woman you're with? Tell us about her. So I know that if that's the first question, this is not a God-fearing place, Avi Melech, and you need to know that, and that's why. And furthermore, says Avraham, Vigam omna achosi basavihi. What I told you is the truth. Achosi bas avihi, she's my sister, the daughter of my father. Ach lo basi me, but she's not the daughter of my mother. Bati lilisha, and that's why I could marry her. 
Now, is that the truth? Is that the truth? So Rashi says, Ubas av muteras le noach, she'en avos le goy, kide la ames dvarav hishivu kain. Right? A non Jew, a Ben Noach, technically is allowed to marry his sister from a father, half sister. Okay. What's Avram's relationship with Sarah? How is he related to Sarah? Sarah is Avraham's niece. She's the daughter of his brother. So listen to Rashi. We know B'nai Bonim, Harayim Kebonim. Grandchildren are like children. B'nai Bonim, Harayim Kebonim. Grandchildren are like children. So if Sarah is Terach's granddaughter, but grandchildren are like children, then Terach is as if it, then Sarah is as if Terach's daughter, which would make her Avram's sister. sister. <laughs> What's Rashi trying to do? It's kind of the same thing that happens with Yaakov when Yaakov goes to Yitzchak to take the bracha. What does he say? Anochi, Esav, Esav bechorecha. And Rashi teaches us how to punctuate it. Anochi, period. It's me. Esav Becharecha, Esav is your Bechor. Why? We're trying to clean up the lie a little bit. It's hard for us to imagine that men of such uh, stature, righteousness, nobility, could lie in such an outright fashion. So we try to clean up their lie a little bit. Anochi, Dad, it's me. Esav Becharecha, oh by the way, Esav is your Bechor. So here Rashi is the same thing. Avram is saying, by the way, what I said wasn't a complete lie. She is my sister. But what do you mean? Now he's going to compound it by lying again? She's not a sister. So Sarah's like Terach's daughter. If Sarah's like Terach's daughter, she's Avram's sister. Okay. Okay. Says the Ramban, Pasukid Beis, Vigam Amanoa Chosi Basavi, Lo Yadati Tamlis Natlusaze, Kigamim Emes Adabar Shaisa Achosavi Ishto. This is a very powerful Ramban. Ramban says, I don't understand what Avram's doing here. Protesting, look, I told you the truth. Even if it's the truth that she was his sister, or his wife, he's trying to fool them by saying it's my sister. What's I'm trying to do here? Avimelech is bothered. Why'd you fool me? Why'd you lie? Why'd you trick me? So Avram's going to try to connect. Well, she's really my sister if you view it this way. Who cares if it's truth or false? Avram did a chait. Avram wronged Avimelech by setting him up this way. And the Ramban wants to hold him accountable. Okay, read the rest of the Ramban. We don't have time. Continuing, let's get to the end of this because I've got to end a little bit early today. So Avram tells Avimelech, and so it was when God caused me to wander from my father's house, when Sarah and I first set out on our journey, I said to her, let this be a chesed that you're going to do for me. Wherever we go, I need you to say, he's my brother. Which, by the way, explains the beginning of the passage. Why didn't Avram get Sarah's permission this time the way he did in Egypt? Avram is explaining now why. Because back then I said, look, we're going to please God live a long life together. Who knows when we're going to find ourselves in this predicament? Here's the deal. The greatest chesed you could always do for me is, forever when we encounter this problem, say that you are my sister. So Avimelech is convinced enough that he now rewards Avram with riches. And he gives back Sarah. I think that order is very interesting. I would have thought he would first give back Sarah and then give all of the riches. First Avimelech gives the riches, then he gives Sarah. 
And he invites him to stay. Remember, Parag says, get lost. Get out of here. Avimelech says, stay. Here's my land. Whatever you see is good. I'd love for you to stay. Why Vaitain Avraham? So Rashi tells us what bothered me, obviously bothered Rashi. He was concerned with Avraham davening for him. So first he tried to appease Avraham. Here, I'm making you a wealthy man. I need you to daven for me. Oh, and here's your wife also. Paro had said, here's your wife, get out of here. Why? Because he was worried what the Egyptians were going to do to her. Avimelech is not worried about his own people, despite the fact that Avram has just told them that they are, have no year as Hashem. He says, you know, feel free to stay, stick around. We'd love to have you. Ulusara Amar... And to Sarah, Avimelech says, I've given money to your brother. I love that. You know, he calls, her his, he calls him his, his brother, her brother. I gave money to the guy who you guys have been calling your brother. Right? It is, uh, covers the eye. What does he say to her? Um, Let it be for you an eye covering for all who are with you, and to all you will be vindicated. Everyone will know that I didn't touch you, that you're clean, that we're good. And Avram indeed davens to God for Avimelech, for his wife, his maids, and they were relieved. I like Ishto. that's also an indictment of Avimelech, you know? Davens for his wives, as he was off trying to consort with uh, Sarah. Avraham has to daven. Why? Because Hashem had completely restrained every orifice of the household of Avimelech because of Sarah, the wife of Avram. There was a plague that had been visited upon him. Avram therefore has to daven now to lift the plague. And what I leave you to think about, because we have to end here, is uh, what we were hinting throughout, is this notion of why was Avram's davening so critical? A few people made suggestions. Why couldn't God have resolved the situation just by giving Sarah back. Here's Sarah, here's some money, go on your way. Why did God make the lifting of the death sentence dependent on Avimelech getting Avraham to, to Daven? And, uh, and, you know, Avraham revisits the same episode that he had done in Mitzrayim. And the same thing that Yitzchak, by the way, is going to do as well. We're going to see this repeat itself. Is there something more beneath the surface that we don't see? But that... It, that insight of Rafersh was fantastic about why they went south with our children. On the one hand, we have to protect them and insulate them. And on the other hand, we have to give them just enough access that the world won't give them a harsh cold when they finally encounter it. Have a great rest of the week and a great Shabbos.